I just feel like so privileged to be a part of it, you know? Like, you know, like I'm, I get my supply for my lasagna from Donati's butchers and from Mediterranean wholesalers and from Piedmontese and from all these different places. These are my heroes that were my heroes growing up. Now I'm hanging out with these guys. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Former world number one restaurateur Massimo Patura made the dish famous years back called the crunchy part of the lasagna. Apart from sourdough, lasagna has been the dish of the pandemic. We've seen chefs all over the globe from reputable venues trying their hand at the homely family staple to deliver comfort and a bit of something special too. Why is it so special? Joey Kellogg is the owner and founder of 1-800-LASAGNA. Joey, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks for asking, Huck. Why lasagna? Tell me about it. Mm, um, why not lasagna, I suppose. Um, it Look, it happened as a result of a dinner party that I made for that I held for a friend at my house for her birthday. There was lots of lasagna left over, and um, I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with all this lasagna? And I thought, well, I'll just wrap it up and chuck it on the bench seat of my old ute and whiz it around town to my darling friends. And that was, you know, 1-800-LASAGNA was born pretty much from there. Um, why lasagna in the first place? I suppose because this friend of mine I love so dearly and she said, it's my birthday. I want to have a dinner party, but I want to have it at your house and I want you to cook for me. <laughs> I said yes and thought, what's the um, one dish that I can jam-pack the most amount of love into? And that's lasagna, really, you know. Well, it started as a dial-for-delivery um, hotline um, quite a few years ago. Tell us about how you got it off the ground. Well, that was 2015, that dinner party. And I enjoyed doing it so much and people enjoyed the novelty and the actual reality of receiving lasagna delivered to their door so much that I did it again only a matter of a few days later. So the first incarnation of it was right around then in 2015. Um, Look, I was working in the music industry um, building... um, music festivals all around the country for the last sort of 10, 15 or so years. So that was something that I then did intermittently between gigs. Um, And, you know, I've always cooked my whole life since I was a kid and I have Italian heritage and Latvian heritage as well. Um, And, yeah, it was a sort of a no-brainer, really. I just sort of fell in love with the idea. And after being on tour, and which is great fun and, an amazing sort of experience working in that industry for so long. But, you know, I was spending a lot more time thinking about lasagna and, and sort of mind mind building and mind riding the lasagna roller coaster while it wasn't happening. In reality, it was definitely very much happening in my mind. So, yeah, it was interesting. I'd, I'd pop it up a few times a year, really, in between – sort of shows and someone, you know, people would get excited about it and hear about it, but then I disappear in a puff of lasagna smoke. And, you know, there was more people not getting lasagna than there were that were getting lasagna. So a bit of a, you know, a mysticism um, sort of developed around it, which then 
always translates to demand, you know, and, um, yeah, then along came a pandemic. And, uh, yeah, I was then kicked off a cliff that I was too scared to jump off, basically. Well, tell us about that time. The the, the arts and the music industries have been um, impacted as heavily, if not more, than, than the restaurant sector. Tell us about what happened to you and that move into food service. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I was sitting on Cockatoo Island on my laptop. We just set up. Um, Mary's on the edge for the Sydney Biennale, which was um, which was uh, Jake and Kenny from um, Mary's Burgers. They'd set up, we set up for them a little restaurant, which is sort of all their greatest hits from all of their um, um, their restaurants and you know burger chain, etc. We'd moved straight on to that from that, and I was doing pre-production on Download Festival, Big Heavy Metal Festival. Sort of, I think I was ordering uh, furniture for the VIP area and. News reports were rolling in and rolling in and rolling in about this pandemic and about sort of how it was. Look, it was, it was literally in the space of a day that I realised that our entire year of um, work on festivals that was pretty much eleven months of back-to-back booked work was just about to completely disintegrate. So it became very, very clear to me, sort of that day. I mean. I think I was like, okay, well, looks like I'm fucking making lasagna then. <laughs> you know, it was that simple. I mean, I, I had, I had about 3000 bucks in the bank and that was it as a 40 year old <laughs> guy. That wasn't much. And, uh, every standard that went into building a website and, you know, within a week I was, you know, I was selling lasagna. How did you pull it together? What, what sort of operation did you set up in the background to be able to make the lasagnas and, and start building this brand? I think, I mean, like I always did it out of my house, um, my tiny little kitchen in Carlton. Then I was doing it out of a little place. I was doing it in Northcote. Um, you know, it's funny. I look back on the, you know, my systems and my logistics and my resources and they were so crude and so domestic. Um, it was pretty funny. But, um, yeah, I mean, at that time, I think one round I hired a commercial kitchen in Carlton um, but then we were very much in pandemic and Chris Turlicker, my dear friend from uh, Blue Bonnet Barbecue, he had his kitchen available because he, he was in full shutdown. So I ended up just renting his kitchen and sort of running alongside with him while he was doing his takeaway. And um, I was there for quite a while, actually, three or four months. That was the sort of first wave of the lockdown delivery lasagna thing you know and it just really took off it went crazy you know but yeah it was just a, a website and lots of broccoli boxes and <laughs> my, my daughter and my mom and my sister helping out and a bunch of other people in a shitty old barina and yeah I, look i think it's like the know-how and the the sort of anything is possible because everything has to be possible and achieved way of thinking from the music festival world is what really got me through i mean there's you can just do everything it's not really you can look at that in a magical spiritual sense and go wow anything's possible which it is it is and it's really nice but also in that world i mean like if someone's got a fucking idea and they want it done you just gotta make it happen somehow so there's you know so yeah it's everything's very much possible it just sort of made it happen you know it was, uh, 
It was a pretty funny wild ride, yeah. How long did it take to take off? It took off so quick. I mean, I think the year of not last year, the year before, I would normally have been working on Dark Mofo. And for some reason, I wasn't there that year. And I, well, actually, I think I chose to do a lasagna run. Uh, that was when it really took off because it was the first time I'd ever done a month straight of lasagna, 1-800-LASAGNA delivery in Melbourne in the deep sort of darkness of a Melbourne winter. So that was when it really sort of gained traction. Um, and, yeah, then, and then the big break after that is when people are sort of, you know, the word spread, I suppose, because lots of people for the first time were able to, wrap their mouths around one of these lasagna and um yeah and then you know all the talking about how good they were i suppose followed but um yeah it's funny i mean i i'm thinking about when i first went into chris's kitchen at blue bonnet and um i rocked in there with my so they had their christmas party at my restaurant jumping forward you know now we've got a restaurant they had their, their christmas party at my restaurant last late last year and um <laughs> and i remember the chefs um well after they had about 20 shots kind of bringing up how hilarious and stupid and funny they thought i was when i rolled in and i was making 50 gastros full of lasagna and i was using these little domestic oven mitts to pull my trays in and out of the <laughs> oh my god uh, you know this, it was pretty funny I was pretty green you know what sort of feedback were you getting uh, in the early days do you have any stories of the sort of response that you got yeah I mean it was it's so nice you know look there's one thing about this whole thing and it's controlling the whole experience all the way from literally from nose to tail I suppose from an experiential point of view, it's like, you know, I control, you know, I go and pick up my meat from, from Marcello and Leo Donati and Ligon street. And I go, I was going and personally picking up every single ingredient, then making it all myself, then portioning it all myself, taking every single order on the phone, myself delivering every single packaging, every lasagna, delivering every single lasagna, and it was, you know, it was insane, but the feedback was so great because they're getting someone on their doorstep that's done all of that stuff and, you know, they're feeling the passion in the food. Uh, and that's still what happens sort of now. I mean, you go and knock on the door of someone's place and, you know, we've, well, I might have nine drivers out on a really busy night, but they're all either my floor staff or kitchen staff or something. So they're all, again, still part of that whole process. But you knock on the door and you can hear down the hallway, oh, my God, lasagna's here. <laughs> and they're screaming and then they roll up to the door and open it up. And they're like, oh, yes, hello, sir. Yes, that is my lasagna. And the door closes and then you hear them running down the hallway, oh, my fucking God, lasagna's here. The whole house is going crazy. And, you know, that's a good sign about as far as feedback goes, you know. Um, and that still happens all the time. You have people answering the door, dressed up, funny, and you know it's great. You know, you drop the lasagna off, and there's the dinner tables ready with their own salads and their own wine, and you know they're just ready for the lasagna to just roll on in. It's it's a cool scene. Yeah, 
as you briefly mentioned, you do have bricks and mortar now, which I want to get to. But and take us back to when you were young. You mentioned your Italian heritage and also Latvian heritage. What, what sort of role did food play in your family when you were young? It was pretty integral. Um, you know, like I sort of, I you know, grew up in a broken home, you know, like single mom, didn't have much to do with my biological father, where my Italian heritage comes from. Um, and it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a very pleasant upbringing, but it was, um, you know, my mom was an incredible cook. Um, and although we didn't have much food around, whatever there was, was really amazing and fantastic. And I think, you know, I think it's the same for anybody that's involved in food or art and music. I mean, it's those things are such shining lights when they're, part of a, a bleak kind of environment so for me food was always something that I very very much looked forward to so yeah I mean I think the first thing I ever learned to cook was a Napoli sauce and yeah I've probably cooked about 50,000 of them since and I still just love it I just love it so much it's something I just you know those three or four ingredients and just that sort of that measured perfection, maybe slightly different every time, maybe trying to do it exactly the way that you did it last time or I don't know, but I remember I was like that as a kid when I was making it. I'd make a, a nap and I'd have a huge – it might be the only thing I would eat all day, so I'd have make one and it was cheap. So it was something I knew I could always have in the cupboard. I'd make a huge bowl of spaghetti nap and then i go out skateboarding and trying to not get in trouble for 12 hours. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. The, the business was building and there came a time when you thought bricks and mortar was the right idea. Tell us about that decision-making process and, and what you landed on. Look, it was just it was just sort of logic, really. I mean, Chris needed his kitchen back. Um, that was a bit scary because it gets to a point where, I mean, I was stopping and starting lasagna at will. Um, over the years, um, it gets to a point where it's sort of you become a kind of a custodian of something that becomes a bit bigger than yourself. I mean, maybe it wasn't quite that like that then, but that's the feeling I was getting. It's like, oh, shit, I mean, I can't just stop this. There's going to be a fucking riot, you know? So, and I didn't want to stop it, you know? Like I was really enjoying it and I, I was personally finding – it's really rewarding and, you know, there's a lot of things happening simultaneously in my own personal life and this was a great tonic for all of that, you know. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I found a tiny – my idea was is that, that I would have a little kitchen, a cool room, maybe a 12-seater bar only at the front of that kitchen so that people could keep me company and drink some wine while I made lasagna. And I found that perfect place in High Street, actually, in Northcote. But it was only like three metres wide, a tiny little half shop kind of thing. It was so cute. But I realised after my proposal being approved that, in actual fact, it was already too small. And, yeah, I was like, I actually can't fucking store this lasagna anywhere. There's no cold – there's not enough cold storage room. There's no – and I had to sort of let go of that perfect little dream before I got to sink my teeth in it and had to then 
Yeah, and then had to actually pull the pin on it and then start looking for something bigger, which is not what I wanted. I didn't, and I didn't – and I was scared. I mean, I've been dining with – I've been consciously dining my whole life since I was 13 years old. I mean, my cheeks – still hurt from getting squeezed by, you know, the guy, the chefs at Tiamo's when I was two years old, <laughs> you know, like I would go, I would go in there and knew, and knew what I wanted at 18 months. And it's like, I was not ready. I'm not a fucking restaurateur. I was not ready for that. You know, I wanted to ease my way in and have a tiny little place that I could kind of hide in and just pump lasagna out of and not sort of be judged. But yeah, I mean, I didn't get that choice because the demand became so great. I had to sort of look a bit bigger. Um, thankfully, this beautiful old, classically Italian-inspired um, building was available like 300 metres down the street from that little one that I had to let go of. And, yeah, it was, you know, we, we did a bit of a dance and we took it. So when I say we as well, I've got a, my – best sort of friend Jeremy Gordon is a business partner of mine in this so he's been a great supporter of mine sort of emotionally and spiritually and he's employed me on all these music festival gigs for the last sort of 10-15 years so he's a minor shareholder but a major sort of influence on me and sort of a confidence backer so yeah so when I say we it's him and I because I couldn't have done anything without the confidence of having someone like him behind me telling me, yes, Joey, you can fucking do this, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, so we did it. We took it. And, um, yeah, with a beautiful, with a great team of maniacs, which are all my dear friends, we just put this thing together, built it. And, you know, there's not a single post-it note or notepad or sketchbook or mood board anywhere with with any imagery of what that place was going to look like. But it, it was all in sort of my head and the head of my friends and we just built it to look exactly the way that we imagined it. And it turned out that way, which is pretty remarkable, I reckon. Tell us about the experience there. What's it like stepping inside 1-800-LASAGNA? Um, it's funny. Like, you know, I couldn't – I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> For me, it's going to be a very different experience for a punter. But look, I wanted that place to be. Look, I dined alone for years, and that's what you know. I I, used, I would go to restaurants and bars in Melbourne to feel good, to go and eat food um, and drink wine, or to meet people or see people to, you know, to sort of make myself feel better. And I would do that alone a lot of the time. So it was always no, – my favourite places were the places I could feel comfortable going to alone and not feeling self-conscious, which I think is a really rare sort of thing. Um, and I, there's lots of places in my mind that sort of that spring to mind when I think of that. So I wanted to go to a place like – uh, or create a place like Mario's where I could sit in the front window and it was a very, very normal thing to do. Or Pellegrini's where I could sit there and have a granita and a pasta and be alone and not feel weird for dining alone, you know. So that was sort of the 
what I kind of had in mind. I wanted to create a really comfortable, inclusive, safe place that was also aesthetically uncompromised, you know, like really sort of, yeah, you know, perfect. <laughs> what surprised you about the role of restaurateur in running a business like this? Hmm. Look, that's an interesting one. I mean, I don't know, and I've got to answer this really carefully. I don't know if I'm surprised by much about it, to be honest, because I feel like I've been analysing it and watching it my whole life. But I say that knowing that I've, I think the most important thing is to know your weaknesses and know what you're not good at. So, and I know that there's a lot of it <laughs> that I'm not good at. So, how, you know, like I'm very lucky that my business partner, he worries about all of the administrative stresses, et cetera, et cetera. And I have the freedom to sort of steer it creatively and create the environment for staff, um, which I'd love to talk about as well because it's just so amazing and such a huge responsibility being, you know, being in charge of the day, you know, of, of, of a place where, you know, these people come and work and spend their time in. But, um, yeah, so my experience of, of being a restaurateur is maybe not a – uh, an orthodox or normal one in the way that I have the freedom to be able to kind of float around, I suppose, a bit, a bit Peter Panny, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got another, a friend who's opened up a restaurant recently and she's having to do every single part of it, every single part of it on her own, you know, I mean, I've got ADHD. I cannot deal with numbers, etc. So I don't think I would be actually able to do that, you know? Um, so yeah, it's about knowing your strengths and weaknesses, I think is just the most important part, you know, and doing what you're good at and not, and getting other people to do what you're not good at. It's just the most important thing. How do you get the best out of your staff and, and how do you create the environment to, to do that? Be nice to them, pay them well, don't lie to them, don't talk shit, don't be an asshole, you know? Um, just, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I just create the most nurturing, safe, loving environment that is fun, respectful, uh, that I possibly can. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, you got to care, you know? This whole thing, this isn't a business venture. It's an art project. So with art comes love and creativity and collaboration. Um, and so that's why it is the way that it is. Uh, if it was a business venture, um, then, you know, it's bottom lines that, that come first. Um, authenticity is something that becomes contrived. Um, or authenticity is something that you that people try to conjure to give it authenticity. But once you start thinking about authenticity, it's it's already too late, you know. So yeah, I mean, I think that's the key. Make it about the people and make it about the food. Make it about the experience. Um, that's not always going to work, but. I mean, it is in this case, and I think that's the way I've lived my – anyone that knows me, I've always lived my life in a completely uncompromising 
way. Um, and most people that I grew up with would probably be pretty surprised that I'm having um, <laughs> that, that I could say my fucking way worked. See, <laughs> you know, my ninety thousand dollars of parking fines that I got. You know, like that's this is what it was all about. You know. <laughs> It started from a, a single dish, the lasagna, but now you have bricks and mortar. Has the offering expanded? Like, what what are you offering at the bricks and mortar venue? Yeah, we've got um, we've got a lasagna de melanzane, which is so beautiful eggplant lasagna. It's just so balanced and so nice. I've actually changed the recipe to the lasagna de carne there lately because it was sort of a bit unbalanced like the 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 melanzane was sort of overshadowing it in some ways so i had to pull some bits and pieces out of the the meat version just to mellow it out but we've um got a uh spaghetti vongole on there we've got um a beautiful gorgeous gnocchi um with uh some nap and some stracciatella it's just beautiful um a friend of mine um said the other day when she said she said she had the the um, gnocchi and she said it was so light and fluffy. It was like her mouth had just fucked a cloud. <laughs> I thought that was a really great way to describe gnocchi. Uh, good gnocchi. Um, and uh, what else we got? We got a mafal there with uh, um, pork and fennel sausage and olive and chili and pavlonero, which is just a real favorite. And my favorite thing on the dish at the moment actually is, you know, I was talking before about how I'd make a nap. Um, when I, before I'd go skateboarding. Well, I also would make a pesto, but I could never decide if I was going to have a fettuccine pesto or if I was going to make a spaghetti napoli. So quite often I would make the fettuccine pesto and put it on a blitzed, silky bed of nap sauce. And so now that's on the menu, actually. And... It's just absolutely inc- such an incredible, very, very simple, great, warm feeling pasta dish. You've got to come and try it. It's just so good. I love it so much. I'm so happy it's there. Uh, then we've got a few salads and just the one tiramisu uh, for dessert. Lots of, lots of great, um, beautiful Italian wine. Lots of fun stuff. Um, some local stuff as well. Just, um, I'm very, very happy to have just finally got um, the best uh, Bin Wan Shiraz um, on the menu, which is just such a, on the wine list, which is just such a classic. It's actually the first time I ever tasted wine in my life was at Best Winery when I was about eight years old. So there's a long history and story of that for me. And, uh, yeah, it's so great to have them on the list. So, yeah, it's all, it's all stuff I love, you know. I don't want to give away your secrets, but – what makes a great lasagna? Mm. It's funny. I was talking to someone the other day about it. It's different when you're making 140 litres of ragu to when you're making two, two litres. The whole process is obviously completely different. But for me, you've, I mean, you've just got to treat every single element with the utmost of respect. I now make my own small domestic sized ragu in the same way or a similar way that I make my big one. I mean, I do all of the elements sort of separately and then bring them together. You know, I'll, I'll caramelize my sofrito to within an inch of its life to where, to where it cannot take any more caramelization and I'll, 
and I'll almost completely make any tomato sauce or Napoli sauce till it's almost finished separately and then brown the meat and season the meat and herd the meat separately or whatever it is I'm using and then bring it together and then, you know, and then that's just the ragu. It's just, you know, just don't compromise. Go and get the good cheese. Use the San Marzano tomatoes. Definitely blanch your sheets, whether they're fresh or not fresh, because, you know, it converts the outside and then you control exactly how much, you know, liquid that it's going to absorb while it's in the oven. Just drink some wine, play some jazz, fucking just go hard. Just, <laughs> you know, it's just like anything. It's like any Italian cooking. Just don't cut any corners. If you if there's one ingredient that you think, oh, it'll be all right without that, it'll be fine. I'm like, no, 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 no. Stop. Get in the car. Go to the shop. Get that one fucking ingredient. <laughs> you know, get, just give it everything. You know. What sort of impact has um, this whole one eight hundred lasagna um, brand and creation had on you personally? Look, it's it's been really good for me. Um, it sort of coincided very much as well with a pretty recent ADHD diagnosis. So, um, and sort of an off the charts diagnosis. So I, you know, it's, it's helped me to make more sense of myself. Um, and to, I think I spent a lot of time sort of running away from myself and sort of, you know, having real serious inferiority complexes and, uh, and you know, crippling self-doubt and anxiety and all of those things, which I'm I'm still not without, but I think I have a lot more confidence, sort of post-diagnosis. So, yeah, I mean, anybody that's <laughs> that's struggling with what they think might be ADHD or anything like that, go and get diagnosed. I tell you what, it's a life changer. But um. Yeah, I mean, look, th- that slogan I have, um, always late, always great, that's a, a funny one because that probably sums it up in a lot of ways. I spent a lot of time always being late to everything, but also being a lot of other things, not being able to manage my affairs or my money or this or that. Um, but the always great part, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily tell myself I was always great. When I came up with that slogan, it sort of made a bit more sense to me. And instead of running away from myself and all of the things that I thought I wasn't good at, it sort of framed it in a way that it's like, yeah, I'm always late and I'm not going to change being late. And you probably get your lasagna late, but I'm always great. It's always great. It's cool. And you can accept me, you know, and I started to run toward myself. So this whole process has helped me to kind of accept myself and my shortcomings a bit more and kind of live with them rather than beat myself up about them, you know? So it's been, it's been, yeah, I'm very, very, very thankful and very grateful that I get to sort of be myself and I get to waste as much time on my own things. When you're working for other people, <laughs> you might focus on a certain element, especially when you're working in the creative industries. You can get caught up, wrapped up on one particular thing, but you've got to move on to the next thing. Um, otherwise, you're wasting other people's time and money. But when you're working on your own thing, you can waste as much time and money on one particular aspect as you like. Uh, and if you've got the confidence that that's going to pay off to do that, well, then you can do it. And, you know, I've spent 
you know, lots of time. All my good ideas come from sitting in the shower. <laughs> I've had a lot of long showers <laughs> coming up with this shit. So it's paying off at the moment. So, yeah. Do you see a time where you might be selling lasagna at a music festival? Yeah. I mean, I think probably, yeah. I mean, maybe December the 19th at Lulipalooza, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I think I've been roped into selling a bit of lasagna for Luli Street Taverns, little day festival they're having in de- December sometime. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's something I would like to do. Um, who knows? There's some talk of something next year. Oh, look, I've got lots and lots of ideas about how I would love to – I just want to create really great experiences for people, really, that involve really great food and really good wine and really great non-alcoholic stuff and really, yeah, I just feel very lucky that I have this sort of – this bit of momentum that I'm probably going to be able to get to do more things. You've had a fascinating change to the hospitality sector. What do you love about what you do? I love being busy and I love the creative aspect of all of this. I mean, for me, the restaurant environment, I mean, I always, since I was a kid, I always wanted to have my own restaurant. I never quite knew how that would come about and what would need to happen for, for that. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, the lasagna and then pandemic thing, that's the real unexpected part of this journey for me. I mean, I just, I could see that maybe one day I'd own a little restaurant, but I never knew how it was going to actually happen or how I, what, what was going to happen in between. Um, what was the question again? (laughs) (laughs) What do you love about what you're doing? Uh, look, uh, it's, it's music and it's aesthetics and it's people. It's fun. I just, I just love that it's just a, just a melting pot of so many different creative mediums. The people, I mean, it's just magical. We're so lucky in 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 Melbourne and you know in Australia in general. Um, I just feel like so privileged to be a part of it. You know, like I get my, you know, like I'm I get my supply for my lasagna from. Donati's butchers and from Mediterranean wholesalers and from Piedmontese and from all these different places. These are my heroes that were my heroes growing up. Now I'm hanging out with these guys. I mean, it's fucking awesome. You know, some amazing chefs that I've idolized are asking me to come and make food for them. It's fucking bullshit. It's just, it's a beautiful thing, you know? Well, Joey, it's an amazing story and we're very honored to have you on deep in the weeds today to hear a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks so much, Huck. It's been a pleasure. Sorry um, in advance for rambling on, I'm sure, but um, <laughs> it's, it's uh, once you get me going, it's hard to stop. But thank you so much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>